0: Room immediately after the service. If you are in here, please open your Bible to Second Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. If you do not have one, there may be one in the seat in front, underneath the seat in front of you. You can grab one of those and uh, follow along. We are in our series from the Book of Second Thessalonians, titled "Look Unto Jesus," and uh, we decided to go on this journey together in the beginning and prayed that. Our eyes would go from this world and the things of this world, maybe our troubles, maybe our trials, and raise them up or look unto Jesus. And as we get our eyes up, we get our hearts up, we get our ways up to Jesus, we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be encouraged to live for the Lord, to trust in Jesus Christ, and to look forward to the promise of the second coming of Christ. And uh, we, two weeks ago, we talked about this coming of the Lord, this promise of Jesus Christ to return to this earth, and in specifically about the gathering together of all the saints. Some of you know that as the rapture. That is the Latin word. The actual Greek word is harpazo, which means to snatch away or to call away or to draw away. But in a moment, twinkling of an eye, at the gathering together of all the saints, dead or alive are going to be meeting Jesus Christ in the air. And it says, so shall we ever be. And so whether you are dead or alive, if you're dead, you're going to be pulled out of the grave. If you're alive, you're going to be translated to meet Jesus Christ out of this world into the presence of Jesus Christ in the air. And what a day that will be. The curse of sin and death will be completely eradicated. We will receive our resurrected, glorious bodies at that moment. We will be united at one time together with resurrected bodies from the grave. And, and some of you have buried loved ones. And maybe their bodies have been ravished. And maybe you saw them go in the grave with cancer. And saw them go in the grave with un, un, unthinkable pain. And they couldn't even stand it anymore. But on that day. On that day when Christ returns, the graves will give up the bodies of the dead and the body that was buried in sickness and weakness and death will be raised in a glorious resurrected body. Not a mortal body, but an immortal body with no sickness, no pain, and no death forever. It will ever be, and no tears and no pain, and what a day that will be. I mean, what a day. And it's a day that Paul taught them about, a day that Paul gave this to them to understand, to be encouraged by. But there was something that happened. They thought they missed it. They were were told they missed this day. Now, this week uh, was the first day of school in St. John's County. For those who have kids that's still in school, uh, parents were thrilled all over our county. They were so excited that this day came uh, and, and yet, for us, Aaron and I, we only have one left going back to school now. Tanner has graduated. Tucker has graduated. On the way to church here this morning, I told Tanner, I said, don't you miss going back to school? He says, not at all. <laughs> I was like, you don't want to go back to school? 100% no, all right? Neither one of my boys were ever thrilled about going back to school, but Courtney's a little different. She likes, she kind of gets excited about it. She likes to go back to school. And when I was a kid, I was kind of like her. I like to get excited about going back to school, I can remember wanting to go back to school the night before. Uh, I can remember going in there and uh, going to bed and couldn't wake up the next morning to go show off my new parachute pants, you know, and maybe uh, my new pump-up Reebok shoes that I would get and uh, so excited about my new haircut and most of all to enjoy the square pizza again, all right? Now, let me tell you, my mom is a good cook, but she couldn't hold a candle to the square pizza at school, all right? But, But many times I would wake up sometimes and think, I missed it. I overslept, like I missed the first day of school. I was so excited, I jumped out of the bed in a hurry to get ready, then I realized I was panicking for no reason because it was still dark and my mom was still in bed and I hadn't missed that day and I was relieved. I was like, oh man, I'm so glad I did not miss it. Well, that's what happened to the believers at Thessalonica. They were shaken to the core. They were rattled. They were struggling with their faith because they were deceived. A false teacher had... Had brought them this news that they had missed the coming of the Lord. They were so excited about it. They were so full of faith, and they were burying their loved ones. They were being persecuted, but they just knew that that day was going to come. And when that day came, Jesus was going to make everything right. And then all of a sudden, they were convinced you missed it. You were left behind. You were left in your in this earth. And a false teacher even forged a letter, most likely, and told them they missed it. And they were devastated. Their hope was destroyed. And let me tell you, when your hope gets destroyed in, in the Lord, you're not going to last very long in this world, especially through suffering and persecution. They had lost their very hope in the Lord. And they, and they begin to consider, why are we suffering? Why are we going through this? What about my loved ones? We missed this Jesus. We missed this coming of the Lord. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's the danger of date setting, by the way. That's the danger of you saying, well, I know when Christ is going to come and he exhorts them to say, hey, don't don't set dates. Don't fall for false teachings by any means, by do not be deceived by any means, whether it's by a word or by a spirit or by a letter. And even if it's accompanied by miracles, signs and wonders, people will come and say, hey, here's this sign and this wonder and this miracle. Paul instructs them, do not be deceived. And then Paul instructs them. Here's. Here's what I want to tell you about the coming of the day. Don't be deceived, and I want you to discover this. Paul tells him, I'm going to give you two very clear things that can show or prove that you haven't missed the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul literally says in the coming of Christ, which we talked about last week, that that it will not be permitted. In other words, God is in control of all things, and he is never late and he's never early. He's always right on time. And there is nothing going to speed him up or slow him down or take him by surprise. And he's saying the coming of the Lord will not happen or will not be permitted by God himself unless, unless, before the, these two things. First, last week we talked about the great apostasy, a concentrated time that sweeps across the whole earth where great wickedness and evil and, and it begins to prevail and then those who are christians or say they are godly are lulled to sleep in this lukewarmness the bible calls it the church of the laodiceans and jesus tells them i would rather you be hot or cold but you are lukewarm i will spew you out of my mouth and this lukewarmness allows this evil and wickedness to happen and they begin to dwell with this world and people fall away from god and the things of god and this great apostasy begins to happen and then a clear and open rebellion against God, God's word, and the people of God don't even care. They're like, that doesn't matter to me. I don't really care what's happened. It's not my business. And the second thing is, in the midst of this falling away, the Antichrist will be revealed. That's the second thing. The sweeping apostasy and then the Antichrist will be revealed. That's going to be our subject this morning. So if you got Second Thessalonians open up, I want to read chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 12 because I've been piecing this together. But I want you to see the whole thing. And next week we're going to finish up this section. But today I want to give you just the whole picture so you can get your wheels turning a little bit. It says in verse 1, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, And are gathering together to Him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come or is not permitted to come unless the falling away comes first, and a man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition." who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, and whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned to those uh, condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's interesting, this identity of the lawless one. And we know him as the Antichrist, right? The Antichrist is someone who is a person. We are going to look at the first the identity of this, right? What is the Antichrist? Is the Antichrist Satan? No, he is not Satan. He is a person. The second part of verse 3 gives us some of the identity of what he will be like or what he may look like. It says that he is the man of sin. And he says, it says he is the son of perdition, then if you look down to verse 8, it says he is the lawless one. Sounds like someone you want to hang out with, right? Now he's not going to be a, a very pleasant person. These are all descriptive titles of this person who is known as the Antichrist. And the title is jarring and shocking, but it is most certainly fitting. Just as Jesus Christ had many descriptive titles, so does the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a real person born on the face of this earth. Many believe it'll be out of the European nations because of the tr- prophecy of Daniel talking about the ten horns and the governments and all that. They believe it'll be one of these European Union nations. And the Antichrist is not Satan, but a tool of Satan, a tool that Satan will use as a great imitator and deceiver. You realize when you read the Bible, you notice that, Jesus, that God has created everything and Satan has tried to pervert everything, right? He is not a creator, he's a perverter. He's an imitator and a deceiver. You have the true prophet, and then he will have a false prophet. You have a true Christ, and he, he, he has an antichrist. He has a true church, and he has a false church. God has a holy trinity, Satan has an unholy trinity. And one of those major players in the grand scheme of Satan is the antichrist, and I know what you're thinking, Pastor, well, who is it? Well, I don't have any name for you this morning, all right? Because it's not really a name, it is an identity. And Satan is all-powerful, is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. He is knowing, but he is not all-knowing. So Satan does not know when Jesus Christ is going to return. So over the length of the existence of Christianity, Satan has prepared many antichrists. It's not just one single person, he has prepared many one pastor said, for every generation, Satan has prepared an Antichrist. And I think if you look back over the years, you can definitely see some very good candidates, right? You can see, see throughout history. I think the most obvious for us is Hitler, right? You look to Hitler and you, might, you would have to say that he would fit the mold of a great or a type of Antichrist. Back in a histor- more of a historical figure is Antiochus Epiphanes, who conquered Jerusalem. And he so hated God and Israel that he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the midst of the temple. And so the Antichrist will be born from this earth. He will exist. And at some point, he will be taken over or completely controlled by Satan himself. So today, Satan is preparing an Antichrist. And all we know is the final one is going to be the worst one. The one when Satan assumes his power in him, it will be a man that culminates in a man of sin, of lawlessness, of perdition, of destruction. And this final form will be an abominator of God who will be worse than Antiochus Epiphanes, who will be worse than Adolf Hitler, who would be worse than uh, Judas who deceived Jesus himself. It will be all put together, the final Antichrist, the worst of the worst. And that's what the identity of the Antichrist would be say, so, well, what's the character of the Antichrist? It doesn't get better. You don't have to look far to see here the character of this man. If you look at just the descriptive titles, the man of sin. Do you imagine being called the man of sin? This is, a, this is a title that goes directly against the man of righteousness, Jesus Christ. So all things that Jesus is, he is exact opposite. The Antichrist will be a very wicked man. A man full of sin or absorbed with sin. A man with no morals. A man with no conscience. A man that's full of hate and envy and strife. He has a lust for murder and mass destruction. He is a man of sin will be sexually perverted. He will, he will live by the passions of his flesh and engage in all sorts of ungodly sexual activity. A man of sin will have no guilt and no shame, and no understanding of right and wrong. Wickedness to a level that the world has never seen before. The man of sin. He's also called the son of perdition. That's a title given to someone only twice in the Bible. The first time this title was given to the man named Judas. And we know Judas Judas was the deceiver of of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said of the same fate of Judas as it's saying of the Antichrist here. Son of perdition means the son of doom. It carries the title someone unredeemable, someone whose heart is so far gone that they are as good as in hell as they should, as they would have been there a thousand years already. They, they are so bent on that destruction because there's no turning back for them. They are, they are doomed and the people believe this title literally even means maybe the son of Satan himself, the son of Satan in human flesh. And it's a person who knows and sees the impending judgment of God. And yet they are filled with such a holy ra- an unholy rage and an intense hatred for where they are going and the judgment of God that they are going to inflict pain and death and destruction on as many people as possible on his way to hell. That's what it means. The son of perdition or doom. Then the lawless one obviously this man has no boundaries of evil no not even the common laws of man even in the worst of the worst prisons in america and throughout the world there are a code of ethics even amongst those who have broken all the laws as you can imagine but they still have standards and morals this man will have no morals and no standards he'll have no in, no issues murdering, murdering innocent children or helpless uh, people he will have no mercy, and no 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 passion will be out of his control. Will be in in, in his control. He will have not one cent of care for the law and order. It will be chaos and brokenness, and he will hate, and he will have nothing to do with laws. The lawless one. You might say, "Wow, that's a terrible character sketch," and it is. He's a wicked, evil man. He will he will be all these things and more than you could ever imagine. Which leads me to the third thing: the work of the Antichrist. Now, the work is exactly what the name says, Antichrist. Antichrist means against Jesus. Literally, whatever God is, he's against. Whoever God is for, he is against. And what he will do is he will begin to lead massive, on a massive sweeping scale multitudes of people to deception and opposition to God. And it will culminate in a war against God. You know, in Revelation, when you read about this, it's interesting because he's going to lead people down a path that not that they deny God, but that they want to make war with God, that that they hate God and his people so much that they want to make war with God. This is the work of the Antichrist. He will rally all those under the deception of Satan, and they will begin this allegiance to the Antichrist. It will be marked by Mark of the Beasts. A a mark that will be on the hand or or the forehead, so to speak. A mark of 666, which is not a literal mark, but a representation mark. And with that mark, no one will live. If you do not take that mark, you will be immediately killed or executed. And if you take that mark, then you can have part of the economy and you can eat or you can drink or have goods. But without that mark, you have nothing and you will be killed. And so he will control the world with this mark. He At this time, he would control the world economy. He will have a one world dollar or one world economy that will all be uh, together. He will have an all world political power. It will not be any more foreign leaders. It will be just the Antichrist. He will be the world leader of all the nations. So he will have the economy. He will have the political system. And he will also, also have military power. He'll have control of all the military power and all the firepower of the earth. He will be a world military power. And he will gain great power. Power like this world has never seen before. Now none of this happens in one day, nor will he show himself immediately because obviously people wouldn't fall for that. So he, being a deceiver, at first will show peace. He will literally broker a deal and a peace deal with Israel and the rest of the world. And people will flock to him and he'll be a charismatic person. He'll be a likable person, but he is deceiving at all costs. And then as he deceives them, all of a sudden at one point in time, as, the, as Christ and the events come along through the last days, it triggers the, the day of the Lord. And if you look at the last part of verse 4, it says that he will, he will come to a point that he will sit as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God this Antichrist gets to a point that he literally proclaims himself as God. He will literally sit in the temple of God in Jerusalem, showing himself as God and wanting people to worship him as God. Now for all those who know the Bible and know the history of the Bible, you know this is the first act of rebellion for Satan, right? He once was called Lucifer in God's kingdom, and yet he wanted to usurp the authority of God and, the, and God himself, and he wanted to be God. God said, you are not God, there's only one God, and he smit him to the earth, and he smit him out of his presence, and yet now this antichrist rises up and he says, I am God, and I will sit in the temple, and I want you to worship me a God, and I want you to show your, show, show, uh, worship me, and I will show myself as God. This act is known by, as the abomination of desolation. You ever heard that phrase before? It's out of Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, he tells the nation of Israel to run for the hills, to run for the hiding places. And so be it, those who are under uh, pregnancy or under under burden feel sorry for you because you can't make it to a, a great place because the judgment of God is falling. The abomination of desolation. Can you imagine this? This man, under complete control, the power of Satan and the power of the whole earth, exalts himself to the very place of God. And he calls himself God or shows himself as God, and he has men openly worship him, and he usurps the authority and the character of God. What a blasphemy. What a a time that this will come, and he's going to say, we're going to make war with God because I am your God now. How in the world does this happen? Well, we talked a little bit about these conditions, talking about the last days. First, the great apostasy is in full effect. I mentioned it briefly in my introduction. We had a whole message about it last week. So many will fall away from the truth and abandon the word of God and the principles of God's teaching that they will be lulled to sleep into lukewarmness. And they will not be on guard and they will, they will get to a point to where they really don't care and evil will be ushered in and it will be prime time for someone to step up and lead this evil tyrant, this evil tyrant will step up and lead the ways of the evil one. Another thing is the Antichrist will come with great power, signs, miracles, and lying wonders. You know, people who follow after God, we're incurably always trying to find power, signs, wonders, and miracles, Right? You think about in the Old Testament, they, were, they wanted to see signs and miracles and wonders. I and mean, you did see and hear of li, uh, powers and signs and miracles in the Old Testament. But when the New Testament came and Jesus came the first time, the nation of Israel said, Hey, show us some signs and show us some miracles and show us some, some wonders. And Jesus said, You're a generation and a people who love signs and wonders and miracles, but I'm come to serve. I'm I'm, I'm the one that's going to come to die on this cross and I'm the true Messiah. You're looking for something else. And yet for us and people always desire to see powers and signs and miracles. And so the Antichrist will be able to do this. He will be able to do miracles. He'll be able to have signs and he'll be able to have lying wonders and people will be deceived just because of that. And then thirdly, it will happen because this world is already under the sway of the wicked one. Even today, today, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. John tells us in chapter 1 of 1 John, he says the, uh, he tells us that every spirit does not confess Jesus Christ is coming to flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is already at work in this world. So the longer the world goes, the more that we're, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work preparing the hearts of people for the coming of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is already working and becoming to the arrival of the Antichrist. Can you see the spirit of the Antichrist already at work in this world? Can you see it turning to a one world economy? Can you see a turning to a one-world political system? Can you see a turning to a one-world religion to not go against anything or say anything against any other religion or to step out in truth? Can you not see the spirit of this Antichrist already working to deceive the world? Then also, something we find here in this scripture, we don't see anywhere else, verses 6 and 7. And probably one of the most strongest arguments For the coming of the Antichrist and the timing of the Antichrist is found in verse 6 and 7. The latter part of verse 7 says, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. say, what in the world is that talking about, pastor? This is the only place it talks about in the Bible. Well, if you're one that likes to dig into textual studies and language skills, this is a great one to study. It's a great one to study because there are some differences here of opinions and understanding of this. Because in one part, when it begins to describe this uh, he, as you see it translated in your Bible probably, if you got a New King James Version, it's capitalized. The first time he says it, it is not, it's gender neutral. It is referring to a force. The second time he uses it, it's very specific in the masculine deity, which is a person that is usually only described by God or of God. So first time, a force. The second time, there's no question it's the deity of God. But my concluding thoughts, and others who have studied this before, that is, it is talking about the Holy Spirit. He is talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit through God-ordained mechanisms that God has put in this world and the framework of this, uh, of this kingdom that restrains evil. If you remember way back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Meaning that there is coming a time when God's spirit will not strive with man. And I think we see this right here because their point comes to where God has enough and the second coming of Christ is coming and his spirit doesn't strive with mankind because his judgment is imminent. That means his judgment is going to fall. And so the Holy Spirit that is striving with man and restraining evil and wickedness is taken out of the way. And as he's taken out of the way, the fullness of evil and the fullness of the power of Satan and the fullness of the power of the deception of the Antichrist and the fullness of all those who will be deceived and who has rejected God will come forth. And it would be an unparalleled time of evil and hatred against God. And it culminates with this challenge and attempt to make war with God. And we think the world is bad today. Can you imagine the evil and hatred for God when the Holy Spirit is gone? And you think about the force of the Holy Spirit. I think about the ordained mechanisms. One is not only just the law. The law is written on man's hearts and the conscience will get to a point where it's seared with a hot iron, but people live through that and they always have this conscience of what's right and wrong. Imagine someone's heart without having conscience in their life. Imagine a place with no government and no law. I think in our country, we have seen this recently, when you remove the law. Law enforcement talks about the thin blue line of brotherhood because they stand on that line that no woman likes to talk about. No one likes to talk about it because it stands between society and evil. And the evil things that they protect against that God has ordained for the goodness of society holds that line. But imagine a whole world without a line of laws, without a line of law enforcement. Imagine a whole line without any morality for our children, for our families, for our home. And the governor, governing morality is gone. And the perverted and the evil and the violence and the conscience of God, the church of God, the Holy Spirit itself is all gone. You think it's bad now? I haven't seen nothing yet. It is complete and utter sin and lawlessness, and the Antichrist will lead the way on this. He will be the shining knight that comes and steps up and sits and rules from that temple, and he will be leading the way. That is the work of the Antichrist. You know I can't end with that, right? (laughs) One last point. Not just the work of the Antichrist, but the doom of the Antichrist. Think about the doom of the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, it simply says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I mean, did you hear that? The Antichrist is no match for Jesus Christ. That's why, for us as Christians, we can have hope. That's why Paul was instructing them to look for Jesus Christ and get your eyes up on Jesus Christ because we're not looking for the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a pretender, he is a phony, he is a fake. And just with a spoken word, God and Jesus Christ, when he comes, will run through the Antichrist. I like when I was growing up, there's always a saying like, when you were talking amongst men and you were talking trash to one another, you'd say, I will run through you like a hot knife through butter. You guys ever heard that? You guys must be from the north. Let me tell you, it's all around South. I used to tell my boys when they were growing up, I won't tell them now because they've gotten so big, but I used to tell them, I'll whip you on the way to a real fight, right? Listen, this Antichrist, he's nothing for Jesus Christ. I mean, he is nothing. There is only one God. And one true God. And everything that opposes him and exalts himself against God will lose every time. Jesus Christ is exalted above all. And in Revelation, when you see the end of it all, and you see the ultimate destination of this Antichrist, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, that is the Antichrist, And the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. The Antichrist gets what's coming to him. He's a wicked man. He deceives, but yet he is doomed, and God will prevail. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear, because we don't look for the Antichrist. We look for Jesus Christ. And for you and for me in this age that we live in, the question for us is, whose side are we on? Who are we looking for? Where are we at? And I believe it's a no-brainer. If you trust in Jesus Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And just as Jesus is going to overcome, we will overcome with him. That we will come on clouds of glory and Christ with a spoken word will destroy the Antichrist. And I'm not so concerned about the Antichrist because when he rises to power, I'll be with Jesus Christ. And that's the promise we have. And listen, gathering together with him in the air with all the saints, whether dead or alive. We're not looking for the Antichrist, we're looking for Jesus Christ. Paul was instructing them to get your eyes up. Don't look to this world, don't look to the lawless one, don't be deceived, don't be swept into this lukewarmness, but keep your, hot, your hearts hot for the Lord and look for Jesus Christ and get your eyes up and look unto him until the day he calls us home. That's the overcoming of the Antichrist that we're looking for. Let's bow our heads this morning together. Dear and Father, we do come before you this morning, Lord. And God, we do pray. Lord, I pray for someone here this morning. They might say, you know what? I've never heard about this Jesus Christ. I don't even know anything about him. Well, this morning, it's a great morning for you to know about him. Listen, you don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be shaken from your faith because we have the real deal. Jesus Christ came the first time. And when he came the first time, he died on a cross for you and for me. And the Bible says that he took our wrath. He took our pain. He took our our, uh, judgment. And on that cross, he makes an offer for you and for me. And what he says is, I'll take your pain and I'll take your judgment. and I'll take your wrath and I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you my grace. I'll give you my love. I'll give you my standing with God. If you believe in me and if you trust in me and this morning, you have an opportunity to make that choice. You can say, dear Jesus, I trust in you. I believe in you, Jesus Christ. I have faith that you came and you died and you was resurrected and you're coming back one day. And I want to be on that side. I want to be with you, Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be a part of this world. I don't want to oppose God. I don't want to be a part of this a sweeping culture that's going to reject God. I want to be with you. So this morning, right where you sit, just lift your voice to the Lord or lift your heart in prayer and just express that to him. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I trust in you and I believe in you and I want you to be Lord of my life. Just like that. You can do that right where you sit. Or you can come down and talk to me. Or after the service, you can catch up with me and say, I want to do that. I want to know Jesus Christ like that. Or maybe you hear this morning, your heart is broken. Your heart is broken because you know people around you who do not know Jesus Christ. And you know if the Lord would return today, that there would be some that would not make it, that would not trust in the Lord. And that's our job. That's our responsibility. As God gives us breath, as he puts us in people's lives, we are to share Christ with all that we know. And we may go tell them about this Jesus Christ and may they not be deceived and may they not go down this path of of this doom of this Antichrist, but that they might know the real Christ. And may God shake our hearts and, and shake us up to where we will go tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the gospel of the Lord and we'll be on mission to do that. And maybe your heart this morning you just need to be like God and say, Lord, I'm not willing that any should perish. I want all to know and may we go out from this place and tell others about Jesus Christ. Or maybe you here this morning you might say, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I, I, want, I want to have compassion on people. And I know there are people who will be deceived. And Lord, I, I don't want to be a part of that. And this morning, maybe even you've fallen into some lukewarmness. Maybe some things have come into your life and you thought, like, ah, not a big deal. I don't really care what they do. I don't really care about this. And, I, and you become lukewarm. You've become lukewarm. Man, I pray this morning you just lift your heart to the Lord and say, set me on fire, Lord. Man, I don't want to be hot for you. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to go the ways of this world, Lord. I want to take a stand. I want, to, I want my heart pure before you. And I don't want to see the Antichrist. I want to see Jesus Christ. And this morning you can lift your eyes up to the Lord and refocus your heart. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this morning, you can have another chance to be set, path, set on the path of righteousness. Whatever it may be, I pray as we have this time of invitation, we're going to play a song just for one or two minutes. And I just encourage you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and do uh, business with the Lord and say, Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it for your courts.